You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less, or sometimes more like this episode. Here's today's question. We are going to call our friend Christopher Yuan to help us out with this. Thanks, Dr. Christopher Yuan, my good friend and partner in crime, and we're excited to have you back on the broadcast, my friend. Well, I am always excited to do anything with you, hang out with you. So thanks for inviting me back on. <laughs> well, Christopher, we got a question written into Ask Dr. E, and I sent it to my dad, and he said, we need to get Christopher on the line for this. So we are calling in your expertise. Let me read this right in for our listeners. According to this article in Christianity Today, polyamory is the next pastoral sexual frontier. My son and daughter-in-law are polyamorous. They have been married nine years and have two kids, ages eight and five. They each have significant others, and these individuals are part of their family unit. They spend time with the kids. They are there much of the time, including overnight. My daughter-in-law's parents, like me, have a huge issue with this lifestyle choice. If we host a family event, we do not include the extras. We've also let them know that we choose not to interface with these people at events hosted by others, as we can't see how to do that without condoning or appearing to condone this choice. While both my son and daughter-in-law were raised in Christian homes, neither claim belief in God currently. And by not claiming, I mean they are adamantly opposed to religion, specifically Christianity. Is there an action I should take? Should I bother with giving them biblical truths? What would be an argument against this from a secular viewpoint? Looking for a lifeline here. This article did little to educate or affirm truth, in my opinion. Please help. So Dr. E and Dr. Y, take it away. (laughs) Well, before I pitch this to Christopher, I want to say a couple things about Christianity Today. Without apology, without hesitation, I am so unhappy with CT at so many levels and I don't want to go on, you know, just being unkind or bashing them, but I think they've lost their moorings quite a while ago. That doesn't mean wholesale, but the tone, the writing, the editorial content of this magazine has shifted significantly in the last few decades. And I don't know about, you know, Dr. Yuan may not have the same way of speaking of it, but I think they're doing a greater disservice by so many ways they're approaching issues. And this is one example that I would put front and center. Even the attempt, the way they've couched this article, is very disturbing to me. So that with you know, probably the worst thing I'm going to say about this article and the issue, I'm going to pitch this to Christopher because we're pushed into an area, and I don't know how you feel about this, but everything's the church's fault. Everything's what we do and don't do right when it comes to these issues. And that's what angers me is that it's like, wait a minute, there's a lot more going on in the life of the local church than just the LGBTQA and, oh, now polyamory issues and what's our fault and how we should embrace these issues. And so this gets me spun up, as you can tell by the tone of my voice. But just to kind of throw that out there is, you know, maybe that's the worst thing I'll say today, maybe. But let's then go to Christopher, and I'm going to have you take some of these questions one at a time and Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I would just say, Christopher, I mean, help this mom out. She and I wrote back and forth several times, actually. And she she wants advice. Like, how does she deal with her precious son whom she loves? Well, first of all, that's why I so appreciate you, Dr. Easley. Just you never pull any punches. You don't mince your words. I don't have to sit around listening to you and just trying to guess what you think. So I love your clarity. <laughs> I, I don't have to, you know, just, oh, is, is this what Dr. Easley thinks? You know, and I have to say, 
I'm in full agreement with you about not just this article, but kind of the direction that the magazine has been going. But I'm so glad, Hannah, you had this opportunity to engage with this mother. I'm not sure if it's the next frontier. It's definitely something that we will be seeing more and more. I mean, obviously, transgenderism is already, I don't think it's something that we're talking about that's coming. It's here. It's on our doorstep. It's in our living room. It's our house. It's our, you know, it's the couch that we're sitting on. And of course, all the people who said, you know, talking about us who are so backwards to say that same-sex marriage is a slippery slope to polyamory. Here we go. I mean, it was, you know, just 2015 and now it's 2020 polyamory is here, you know? So, I mean, the same way, it's not on our doorstep, it's in the home, you know, it's in our carpet, it's in our tiles, it's it's everywhere. So, but with that said, I do want to, I hope that the mother's listening now and, or you might be that mother that didn't write in, but you're thinking, this is my story. This is what I'm dealing with, with my daughter, with my son. And there's so many connections with this mother's story. Mrs. Mother, we don't know her name, but this mother X. There are many parents that are out there that are wrestling with this because if there is no standard for what marriage truly is, which is one man, one woman, then why not? So it's a difficult thing. And there's such a connection between, you know, this mother and many of the parents that we deal with specifically in the ministry that I have with my parents, my mom and dad, where we speak on this issue of homosexuality and same-sex relationships. So all these parents who are grieving because their child, and oftentimes raised in a Christian home under biblical values, walked away from their faith and are now in a same-sex relationship. So very similar to this, where the parents are thinking, what do I do? You know, we're having Thanksgiving and does my daughter, you know, she wants to bring her lesbian partner. What do we do? And kids even nowadays with adoption or artificial insemination, et cetera, or it could be a son. So it's very similar. And I just get similar questions like this. So I want to affirm what this mother is realizing that polyamory, and I think you know, polyamory is a behavior. Polyamory describes a form of relationship, sexual and romantic relationship that they have. It is against the will of God. So that is correct. Christopher, to back up just for a second, I think by mm-hmm. the context, most people probably got a clue of what polyamory is, but just, yeah, just to <laughs> give it up front, what is polyamory? I, I, I guess so. I lose that. I forget, you know, <laughs> this is my world that I live in and swimming and I throw these words out. They're like, doesn't everyone know? And so I forget that. Yeah. Polyamory, poly meaning many, amory or amorous is from meaning love. So, you know, a literal translation would be many loves. But as we know, it's not, you know, because I could say, well, I love a lot of people. I love my parents. I love you guys. I love, you know, my best friend. But again, it's distorting the meaning of love to almost only mean sexual or romantic or even like a marriage type of relationship. Um, So polyamorous means uh, people who have what I used to call it 20 years ago when I was not living as a Christian at all, as an openly gay man, I call it an open relationship where they would both agree to having 
relationships with other people. And the only agreement was that it would not be secretive. So they would tell the other person, but sometimes, for example, in these situations, it would be committed. So they would be what we call a thruple. So you hear these terms like that, a thruple, not a couple, but a thruple. So it would be three, either two men and one woman or two women, one man. Looks like in this situation from this mother, it's four. So is that God's will? Of course not. But we want to communicate to our children that the biggest problem actually is not polyamory. Is it a problem? Of course it is. But it's not the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is rejection of Jesus Christ, rejection of God, and not following him. So I would suggest to this mother, though, yes, this is a problem, I would communicate to our children what we want more than anything else is that they would follow Jesus. Plain and simple. I mean, how in the world was I able to walk away from same-sex relationships? It was not based upon my own efforts or my own desire to be good or buckling down, white-knuckling it. It was first and foremost fully surrendering myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, putting my faith in him, and by that, the Holy Spirit abiding in me, and through that, empowering me by God's grace to say no to my flesh. And so that I want to make really clear to this mother, and also that these parents, that this mother communicate clearly that though this is a concern, polyamory or same-sex relationships, that's not our ultimate concern. Because let's just say this son and his wife, they cut off these relationships. Well, if they're not following Christ, they're still lost. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, matter. Yeah. yeah. So just like a daughter, if she's dating her girlfriend and she all of a sudden decides to date a boy and they even get married, if she does not know Christ, if she does not fully surrender herself to Christ, she's still lost. So we want to make that first and foremost, and it's through that relationship that we're able to go and sin no more. So this would mean to communicate that clearly to the son, have them over, him and his wife, and be very intentional about communicating the gospel, you know, even through dinner. You know, I love my friend Rosario Butterfield. Her gift is hospitality, and she's always opening up her home. And dinner is not just dinner. It's after dinner, they, you know, when they clear away the plates, and they pass around the Bibles, and they pass around, you know, she sings the Psalms, and so she'll pass around the Psalter, and they'll sing, and they'll read scripture. And these are unbelievers, but who know that Rosaria and her husband, uh, who's a pastor, that's what they do. But it's done in a loving, you know, non-confrontational way. And so I think this is a good opportunity for ourselves to reconsider. If someone came over to our house for lunch, for dinner, or lived with us for a day, would they know that I love Jesus? You know, and I want to maybe even make it not just a day, but a weekday. So in other words, not Sunday. But, you know, during the week, a regular day, if they were able to spend time with us, would it be apparent that we are living the gospel before we preach the gospel? Do we preach the gospel? Of course we do, but we have to live it first. So that's what I would say first is I would look for every opportunity. I don't think it's helpful to have the extras around, but if by chance we do meet them, because I mean, I think, you know, when we have these family events, and if these aren't people... I mean, it sounds like they're just in and out of these people's lives, not actually living with them. 
I don't see why I would invite them. Sure. But let's just say for some reason you go over to their house or something, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not hitting people over the head with a Bible, but I'm just exuding Jesus. And like the light of Christ can be really evident, you know, through just my regular life. So I really want them to see that. Let's presume that she's done this to, you know, the best of her ability, that she's communicated this. And you know how families are. It's hard to keep your emotions in curl. I mean, you heard me get spun up about the CT article. It's hard, you know, when we feel passionately about something. And so let's just say she's done it well, maybe not perfectly. And let's go forward because this is where, you know, we had friends, Christopher, several years back and her father divorced her mother and was living with another man and announced years later that they were moving to a state where this was before Obergefeld, where same-sex relationships were more acceptable. So they relocate their lives. And he announces to his daughter and son that he's going to marry this fellow and invites them to come to the wedding. And mm -hmm. so in our relational structure, this woman and her husband are talking to send me about it. And, and we weren't telling them, don't go or you must go. We were just processing and mm -hmm. there is no logic. It's all emotion. It's mm -hmm. you can communicate as clearly as you want. In this case, I don't believe in what you're doing is correct. I love you. I don't hate you. I disagree with your behavior. Your rationale and excuses are not right. You know that deep down and you can have those conversations, but I love you. So then you have the question, if I don't go to the wedding, yeah, I'm cutting off a relationship more than likely with my son or whatever it is, son and daughter-in-law or daughter and son-in-law. I'm cutting off a relationship with them. They're going to you know, compartmentalize me and be mad at me and say unkind things about me. Or I try to somehow navigate this relationship with these boundaries. You can't come over with your polyamorous extras. When it comes to my grandchildren, I'm not going to dance around these where, I mean, it becomes so much layer. And this is where I get angry in the sense of we're trying to coddle sin yeah, in such a way. So as not to quote, hurt somebody's feelings when yeah. they're the ones that have made choices. And then we're not asked to be tolerant. We're asked to embrace Right. We're not asked to be kind and civil. We're asked to endorse. Right. And that's where I get angry. It's like, why did this come to the Christian's lap? It's my problem. It's my fault. And in a loving way, I appreciate totally what you've said, loving, clearly explaining it. But you know as well as I do, more than likely their response is going to be, you're unkind, you're unloving, you don't understand. We love Jesus. We're following Christ. Well, in this situation specifically, they are very anti-Christianity. But so I'm then, playing oh. through the notion. I mean, oh. the article in CT is that we're committed to Christ and <laughs> doing it. this yeah. still. And right. so the bifurcations of this are driving. Let's center it down. We've done the hospitality best we can. We've done the communication best we can. How does she now relate to her son and daughter-in-law and their extended family that they've designed yeah. Without being unkind, cruel, and not a Christian. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, that's think, where it gets down to, right? Yeah. I think that where, exactly like you say, how people cannot separate, you know, where we, we love you, but by saying that this is sin, it's you don't love me. Where does that come from? I believe where this comes from, and this is why in Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, 
you know, my first or second chapter is on identity. It's on personhood. It's on our ontology, our essence. Who am I? And especially when it comes to homosexuality, when people say I am gay, they're not saying these are my feelings. These are the type of attractions that I have. This is what I do, or this is the type of relationship that I seek out. Never. You don't hear that anymore. What people say is, when I say I'm gay, I mean, this is who I am. And in the same way, and actually, even in the way the email from that you receive, Hannah, from this mother, I think she said, my son is polyamorous. Now, I mean, I think, and I don't know if that's what he says, but it's even in the way that we communicate it. When we use the verb is, or if it's plural, that they are, that's a being verb. You know, in linguistics, we call that a copulative verb. And it's almost the same thing as putting an equal sign there, which makes what we say after that equivalent to who we are. It's your essence. I mean, that's why God says, I am. I am who I am. That's a very powerful statement. I mean, of course, people can say, I'm happy, I'm, but we can differentiate because no one will say, that's who I am. You know, happiness is who I am. No one says that. No, they say, I am happy. That's describing me. Whereas when someone says, I am gay, they're not using that as a descriptive. They're using it as a word to say that that describes my essence, my personhood. I'm born that way. And so helping people to see this is, you know, you are in a polyamorous relationship. You are in a same-sex relationship. You may have feelings toward both sexes, or you may have feelings toward different people. So the term gay straight, the term polyamory, I want people to really understand that it does not describe people. It describes our feelings or our actions. That's such an important thing for us first to understand that as Christians and then help our loved ones to see that as well. So a son who identifies as gay, a daughter who identifies as gay, or a son or daughter who is in a polyamorous relationship, helping them to see this is not who you are. You are, and just say their name, you know, you are Charlie, you are Sally. You are in a polyamorous relationship and explain to them, I'm not saying that I hate you, but your behavior, and there's a difference. As a parent, we all know we love our children, though they may do stupid things, though they, you know, rebel. If you have a five-year-old child who's doing something naughty, we don't hate them because of their behavior. We're able to separate behavior from the person. And I think that's important for us to understand and then help to communicate to our loved ones that it's not out of the ordinary to be able to say, I don't agree with what you think or what you do, but that's not the same thing as through that disagreement by not loving you. And so it's seeing that's actually true tolerance, true tolerance, where we're able to love even in spite of our differences. And I think that's a powerful statement for a parent to tell their child. Actually, true love, true tolerance is being able to love people though we disagree. And I would even go as far to say, loving, if we agree with everything, is a very simplistic and is a very almost sophomoric, immature, childish way to love and a more mature way to love is being able to love people in spite of our differences. I think that's a powerful point. So let me ask you, let's come back to our dear woman who wrote this painful, hard question. You started out with a superb way of saying, you know, clearly articulating 
why you know you love them. This is how I understand you know scripture. These are my convictions. Let's play scenarios out. They don't react well. They get angry. They want nothing to do with them. So now we can't see our grandchildren anymore. Back to my tension. How do you keep some kind of a relationship without endorsing what they're doing? And do you cut the whole thing off? Is that loving? I mean, I know there's not one answer, but give me some counsel on, you know, how we have this discussion. Yeah. So I would say, so for example, if this is like the first time that you have a child, adult child, or maybe even a young adult or a teenager child that comes to you says, I'm in a polyamorous relationship, or I am gay, I'm lesbian, I'm trans. I think in that initial meeting, because usually there's actually parents are often the last to know, unfortunately, there's a lot of anxiety on their part. I would just listen and say, you know, what does this mean? Tell me more. You know, this is the first time. And inside, most of the time, parents are shocked and they're grieved. I would also ask a really important question. How does your faith fit into this or does it at all? I think it's important to tell them, I love you, but let's continue this conversation later as well. And the reason why I think at that point, when usually children come to tell you, they're expecting us to come down hard or whatever. This is my preference. I think wait to the next conversation to tell them, you know, first of all, what I want more than anything else is that you would follow Christ and follow his beautiful commands. And this is not what is God's will. I would say that in the second conversation, usually, because that first conversation is usually tense. There's a lot of, I would listen more and say, you know, can I get back to you? You know, let me process this. And, you know, as opposed to doing it at that point, because there's a lot that people remember more on that first one. And sometimes as a parent, if you say, I love you, but oftentimes what you just said before that, but is forgotten. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. It's gone. yeah. So I would say, thank you so much for telling me, tell me more. How does your faith fit into this? This must have been hard, you know, kind of, I think that first conversation may be leaning more into the grace side. However, you know, saying, let's continue this conversation. Don't kind of give the sense that we're done. This is it. You know, let's talk about this. I want to sleep on this process. This, I'll pray about this. But the next time, and you know, don't come in kind of with your guns out, you know, just still soft, but Tim, you know, what I want more than anything else is that you surrender to Christ. But I do believe, you know, we do tell our loved one, this is not God's best, but more than anything else, it's not that I want you to stop being in a gay relationship. First and foremost, first and foremost is I want you to follow Christ, know Christ. That would be for this mother whose child does not know or has rejected Christ. But as, you know, Dr. Easley, you bring up, there's going to be more and more situations where people, especially in same-sex relationships, where they say, no, I'm gay. And well, Pete Buttigieg, right? He's gay and he's in a same-sex relationship and he believes that God blesses that. And that's going to become more and more, it's not going to be uncommon much anymore. Sometimes those are so much more difficult because that adds another layer of deception. I almost suggest that it's sometimes better to avoid talking about the different six passages because unfortunately, our loved ones who have probably thought about this for a long time and has read a lot on it are probably a bit more prepared to come back with the truths that we're saying from scripture and it can catch us off guard just simply because we haven't studied it. Now, if they spoke to 
Dr. Easley or me, they probably wouldn't be, but not everyone has studied it as much as we have. And so as parents, I think it's best, and I'm not saying don't talk about it, but you could talk about, well, what is the true gospel? And what you find oftentimes is, well, the gospel, you know, it's not really about saying that we're all sinners. You know, it's just talking about that we have to do good and bring good and, you know, bring God's shalom to the world, you know, whatever it is they want to say, kind of it's getting around, you know, the true truth that, you know, if we're going to really talk about shalom and peace, it's about being reconciled to God, not about, you know, this kind of social justice, which oftentimes has been confused. But again, I think it's recognizing that the overarching, when you give in in one part of God's truth, you're always going to be giving in in others, which will be much more apparent, and they won't be as prepared to be discussing about what is the truth of Scripture, or even talking about, well, what is true marriage, and where do you get this? And let's open the Bible to Mark chapter 10, or Matthew 19, where Jesus clearly lays out that marriage is between one man and one woman. How do you understand that? And I think those would be good, but most of the time, parents, you know, that's not something that you want to do on Thanksgiving, but sometimes what you can do, uh, I have lots of siblings who say, you know, my brother is gay and he's, and he says he's Christian. You know, what would I do? He identifies as gay, but he thinks you can also be Christian and they've talked about it and they're getting nowhere. I think sometimes you can use some reverse psychology instead of saying, Hey, are you reading your Bible? Because I would almost gather most of the time not. They're reading more of like Matthew Vines or some of these gay activists more than anything else. But I would say use maybe reverse psychology. And, you know, when you're just talking to them, how's your day? And be like, you know, what have you been studying in scripture this week? You know, what has God been teaching you this month? And I bet most of the time they won't have an answer. But if you kind of keep in a positive way, bringing it up, and at the end of your conversation, you know, say, let's pray. I really believe if a person gets more into the word of God, the Holy Spirit has more to work with in that individual. And I've seen in people who have believed this false gospel that as they truly get into the word of God, it transforms. I mean, that's what the word of God does, you know, as the Holy Spirit quickens that. A couple of things as I'm listening to you that my mind's kind of running on and and I need to hear this and I need to apply it as well is, you know, you've got your own emotional reaction to things, but this takes time. Mm, yes. This is not a one conversation thing. And they're way down the road if they already have these relationships. They're way down the road probably before they ever mentioned this to her or the in-laws. Secondly is because we only have so much emotional capacity, spiritual capacity with our own hurts and problems is, you know, I hate the phrase it's overused, but the borders and boundaries that you just say, look, I don't have the borders and boundaries right now to handle all this. I love you. Here are the three things that, you know, I'd love to see you. I want to see the grandkids, but we're not going to even get here. And then I think the other thing, and you know this as well as I do, I've yet to deal with a person who's in an affair, who's, you know, gone down the road, whatever they're on. They're not in the word. You can't live those lifestyles that adamantly and have a relationship with God. And if you do, it's, you know, something else. It's not a relationship with Christ and his word, not submission to his word. But almost for this particular woman, it's, you know, this is going to take a lot of time in your own life and in how you do with them. The other thing, and this is cynic easily, this ain't going to last. Yeah. This polyamory thing is going to blow up with one of them at some point. Mm-hmm. and that bridge too far will be an interesting opportunity when that person decides, well, they're going to add 
an LGBT component to it. Maybe that's a bridge too far for this couple. Wait, we didn't talk about that, which the irony of that becomes very self-fulfilling and rich to say, you know, when was it that that became a boundary too far for you? Right. You know, so I don't know. It's just, I want to come back to the high level to say, for those of us who have a voice, you, me, others who have a voice to speak about truth in a kind way, but in a clear way, Mm-hmm. not being hateful or mean, but also, as Rosara said, it's not loving if we don't call people to repentance. And that's a knife edge that I don't have in every situation. I don't know when to push one side or the other. <laughs> I just don't. But I think we tend to cower away. We tend not to bring it up. We tend to say, oh, everybody's doing it. And uh, that is as egregious as living in sin, is it not? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we should never try to shrink away from God's truth. And even when people bring it up, but I think, you know, we don't have to fall into their trap. People want us to fall into their traps and they want us to get angry. So don't get angry, you know, speak God's truth. Are you talking to me? (laughs) No, I'm speaking to them. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you are. It's okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm speaking to because I mean, don't kids know how to push parent buttons? I mean, that's they're the master of that because they've known probably they know how to push parents' button more than anyone else because they've known their parents more than anyone else. So these kids are masters at doing that. So parents, what parents need to do is resist that. You guys know this that little picture book, uh, Love You Forever. Yes, yeah, we love know it. that. Yes. I didn't know what that was until after I became a Christian, wow. but my mother signed off every single card, Love You Forever. So when I was lost, when I was, oh my goodness, just totally wayward, she would send me cards, postcards every two or three days. Just, it was continuous. You know, this is before texts, before emails. And she, I mean, she didn't know, you know, maybe there were emails back then, but it was continuous and I hated it. Yep. So annoying. Another, you know, and my friends even knew that they would go get my mail and be like, Oh, another one from your mom. Where should I put it? I'm like, Oh, in my filing cabinet, you know, which was my garbage can. So I didn't like it, but you know what? It planted seeds. So later when I got home and, and even through my time in prison, she continued to send ours and love you forever. And I didn't know what that meant. Okay, love you forever. Until I read the book. And I mean, I just, I think about just died when I <laughs> read that. <laughs> so powerful. And so parents just, I love you no matter what. I love you forever. And, you know, you can say I don't, but I'm going to do what I do. And that is love you. Whether you accept my love, that's another thing, but I love you. And that love is always going to be offered to you and tell that to you, whether you accept it or not, that's not on me. And also whether you understand my love or not, I have no control over that, but I'm going to love you regardless. I think that's powerful. Do not allow them to, you know, yes, I think, you know, Dr. Easley and I, we spent the last, you know, several minutes talking about what we can say and how we can counter that. But sometimes I think parents, it's just okay just to say, this is what I know to be true. This is not God's will, but I love you no matter what. Well, just let that the thing I keep thinking, you're never going to argue anyone out of a homosexual lifestyle. You're yeah. never going to argue them out of polyamorous lifestyle. To quote Michael Easley, you're never going to argue them into the kingdom. I mean, Amen. 
only God's spirit, only Jesus Christ can change hearts and change our desire for sin to, you know, transition for a desire for holiness. And so, I mean, I'm thinking about your story, Christopher, and while there were, you know, hundreds of little things, of course, that led you to the Lord— I think you would say at the end of the day, I mean, your mom prayed you into the kingdom. Yep. She didn't argue you into yep. the kingdom. She prayed yep. you into the kingdom. And, yeah. but that was, you know, the work of the Holy spirit going after you. Yep. That's right. And I didn't know the extent I knew she was praying for me, but I didn't know the extent until later. And it was so powerful. And it wasn't just praying the first two, three hours of the day, she would be reading her Bible, studying and praying. She also fasted. God called her to just fast. So she committed to fast every single Monday for eight years for me. And then one time just out of the blue, God was calling her to fast until he said, stop. She had no plan. And of course, she still drank water. It was after a while, after three days or something, then she decided to just juice, you know, so she juiced, so she, had a, she fasted her for 39 days. And on the 39th day, her fingers started cramping and her toes started cramping. And she felt like that was God saying, that's it's done. And so she finished. So 39 days, my dad always jokes. He's like, if that was me, I would have just you know, stuck it out to do 40 so I could say 40. And it's like, <laughs> my, my God, you know, said, no, it's 39. She had nothing to prove, did she? <laughs> she had nothing to prove, exactly. But, you know, are we fasting and praying for our kids? I mean, interceding. She always said she was so afraid that God would forget me. Mm. So she would go every single day and she prayed and she even wrote out some of her prayers and she just wanted to be consistent about, you know, interceding on my behalf because she knew that she couldn't do anything. And it was, it had to be God. It had to be the Holy Spirit. And for those that don't know your story, she kept those post-its that yeah. she recorded, uh, correct me, uh, anything positive that happened, you know, Christopher didn't get mad at me today, whatever it was. Yep. And stuck them all together. And I remember when you unrolled them, did she ever count them or was that too? Oh, it was over a hundred, but it was a list of blessings. Yeah. That she kept in the midst of her storm. You know, she's like, I've got, you know, she loved the hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one. And, and she, and she did. Kept, and she did. Yep. Well, yeah. if you haven't listened to Christopher Yuan's story, he's been on our show probably three or four times now. And so we'll make sure that those are linked in the show notes. And then for this sweet mom that wrote in, I just realized I'm going to send her, Christopher, you and your mom's first book that y'all wrote together, because I think that awesome. would just encourage her. So I just want to say to this woman, forgive my explosive anger and, <laughs> and righteous indignation, if I can call it that. I'm just so frustrated with what the Christian community doesn't do to help. And yeah. that's my big concern is thanks for writing a very transparent on your part to write and ask. And as Christopher said, you're not the only one asking this question. And unfortunately, this isn't going away. For my peer, those who are in leadership positions, who have a voice, who have a podcast, a blog, who preach, who teach, who speak, have courage. Please have courage. As I often say, you know, speak the truth in love and smile. You know, smile when you're, even when you're angry, smile about it and smile at the future. This is a crazy time in so many respects. But Christopher, we were talking to one of the professors we talked to. He said, prophets had to have courage 
Mm. And I thought, what an obvious thing that I forget, you know, that these people were speaking against an entire culture, Nahum speaking to the enemy, if you will, that judgment was coming and there was no opportunity to repent. You had to have courage to do that. And I think we need courage. Fortunately, we're not persecuted in the same ways yet, but to have courage and smile and say, Christ loves you. Your identity is not in something you concoct. He loves you. He died for you. He died for your sins. And there is a path of redemption, and he can change your heart. He can change your mind. He can change your inclinations to the point that you love him more than you love sin. That's a work of the Spirit, not a work of you and me convincing somebody or the work of the flesh being more disciplined, right? Christopher, you on. Thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for helping us on these questions. Now, thank you so much for having me on again. If you've got a question for Ask Dr. E, call us or text us at 615-281-9694, or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com. We would love to hear from you. Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Easley in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain, and you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.